listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Let me hear you again. Good morning, church. Hey, maybe this will get you excited. As of right now, we have 27 people signed up to be baptized tonight. That's pretty cool. It's going to be a good day, but I feel like pretty much all Sundays are good because uh, when I'm able to be here, like I just love Sundays. I look forward to gathering with y'all every single week. Um, but something has become very evident in, for, to me over the last 20-some years of doing ministry, and that's that, that Sundays don't work for a lot of people in our, in our community, in our culture, in our families. Like Sundays just are impossible. Um, and as much as they would love to be here, and as much as you would love them, for them to be here, as long as their only option to come here is on a Sunday, it's just never going to work. So for the first responders who, because of their work schedules, they have to miss multiple Sundays in a row. Those people that right now, they're sitting at a firehouse or a police station. And can we just show them some love for the way they serve our community? Because some, somebody who loves Jesus and loves this church is not here because they are there. For the medical professionals, that Sundays just make it difficult. There are people that, that come here straight from working a 12 last night. There are people in this room that they got off work at 7 o'clock this morning. They went home and showered and came here. And I got to preach really good to keep them awake because they just worked a really long shift. For those people, for the people that, that just travel on the weekends and have other things going on, for the people that just... Sundays don't work, we're giving you a new option. Starting Monday, September the 17th, we're going to offer an identical Sunday experience on Monday nights. This has come out of a lot of, a lot of prayer and thought, and we just, we've been at capacity, I mean, it's it is the middle of July, and, and just look around you. Like, we, we've run out of room, and we still feel like that we are people out there that we need to reach. And so we just started wrestling with the question as we talked about adding a third experience, is what would be the best option for us to reach people that we're currently not reaching? And we just believe Monday was it. It is not the most convenient or the easiest option, and right now we do not have everything we need to make this happen, but we're going to find a way. Come on. We've never had it what we needed when we decided to do it around here. But when God, I heard a preacher say one time, when God guides, he provides. That was me. <laughs> and so, and for those of you, maybe like you grew up in the church and you're like, you have to worship Jesus on Sunday. <laughs> no, you don't. Matter of fact, guess what? Every day is a day of worship. Every day is an opportunity for you to worship. Every day is Sunday. Like every day you should be worshiping Jesus. Just because we are not gathering here and we're not doing it the way we do it here doesn't mean it's not a day of worship. If your heart and mind are surrendered to Jesus, every single day is a day of worship. It's true. The other thing you need, you need to know is like, you know why we started worshiping on Sunday? It wasn't because there was a biblical mandate for it. Actually, the, the Sabbath listed in Scripture is not Sundays. 
um, we started gathering on Sundays is because the early church did that because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So the church, when they would gather, they would gather on Sunday to remember the resurrection. So that's how the tradition of worshiping on Sunday began. And so for those of you that like, like have so like maybe like some, some weird thing is like, all right, if I don't come on Sunday, but I come on Monday, am I do a cannonball in hell on Tuesday? <laughs> no, no. And, and like, I, and I'm down here every Sunday after each service. If you like to know more about that, you have some questions, like, and, and if you have a problem with that, come talk to me. I'll be glad to set you straight real quick. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get into the sermon, okay? Go to First Kings chapter 18. Uh, because today we are in part two of a series that we're calling The Prophet, doing something that we do from time to time, or we just kind of set up camp in a book of the Bible and systematically, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, just walk through it together and just see what God has to show us. And today we're in part two of a series that we're calling The Prophet, and if you look at 1 Kings, we're introduced to a crazy man of God named Elijah. And we're walking through these powerful stories in his life. And Elijah is a prophet. And, and if you don't know what a prophet is, kind of in its simplest definition, a prophet was a mouthpiece for God. You with me say amen? A prophet is somebody who God would use to speak truth to his people. And we see this happen in the Old Testament. As the nation of Israel continued to struggle with living consistently in their faith. And often they were, they were drawn to worship other things Things other than God. Follow ways other than God's ways. God would raise up a prophet to speak truth into that nation, to draw them back to himself. And when Elijah comes on the scene, he's serving the nation of Israel as a prophet in, in one of its most challenging times. Because Scripture says the man that is king in that moment is a guy named Ahab, who Scripture says did more evil in his day than any other king. And you add on top of that, he was married to this cray-cray woman named Jezebel. And you just had a power couple of crazy leading the nation of Israel. And they were kind of pulling the nation along with them away from God to worshiping false gods. This false god named Baal and Asherah. And they were, they were worshiping things that weren't worthy. And God raises up Elijah to go to Ahab and say, Look, because you're pulling the people away from me and you have drifted away from me, as a consequence of that, it ain't going to rain until I say it's going to rain. It is not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And now for, for most of us, like, like you don't care. Like that wouldn't have had, you're like, here's how I'm going to push you. It's not going to rain. Like you'd be like, so? But you got to understand in this context, they were dependent on the rain. This was an agricultural society. So how they made their money, how they fed their families, how they, how they stayed alive. They needed the rain. You with me? Say Amen. So no rain meant a drought. A drought meant famine. A famine meant death and chaos. And so God moves on Elijah to say this. And then last week we looked at how God began to just work in his life in this time. He goes and he allows him to withdraw to the Kareth Ravine. And God, God we just see in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see God's provision. And I reminded you last week that you are completely dependent on the provision of God. Testify somebody. You are completely provision. You are completely dependent on the provision of God. If you don't have God's provision, you die. Anything that doesn't exist under the umbrella of God's provision will die. Relationships die. 
You die spiritually, physically, emotionally. You die without God's provision. And I told you that God's provision is connected to God's direction. If you want to live under the umbrella of God's provision, you have to listen to his voice and follow his direction. And when you follow his direction, it doesn't often make sense. Come on. He'll guide you in places that aren't the most convenient, comfortable places. But if you want to exist in God's provision, you have to be tuned into his voice. And you have to follow his direction. And when you do, he provides always come on somebody like he he provides he does and he uses things that you wouldn't expect to provide for you he used a widow in Zarephath to provide for Elijah we looked at that story last week as she goes and like what what seemed like God had led Elijah to the wrong woman because she barely had enough even for herself but it's just a reminder it may look like a little but in the hands of God it's always enough always enough and we see him go back and forth, and, and God continues to provide for him. But now as we step into Acts chapter 18, that season is coming to a close, and God has a new command for Elijah. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18. Pick up with verse 1. It says, after a long time, after all this time has passed when he had been uh, being provided for by the widow of Zarephath, now this season has run out, and it's time for something new. It says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Go. Now, all right, Elijah, I know you spent the last three years doing everything you could to avoid Ahab. And now God's saying, hey, Elijah, go find Ahab. And Elijah says, huh? Like, God, for the last three years, everything I've been doing is to avoid that joker killing me. And now you're telling me to go and present myself to him. Like, something is about to happen. And once again, Ahab is, is looking for Elijah. Like, remember, Ahab blamed Elijah. It, uh, Ahab thought it was Elijah's fault that they were going through all this. We're going to look at that more in a minute. And actually, if you read on in the chapter, Ahab had been sending scouts out all over the place with one job. Find Elijah, kill him. So you want me to go look for the man who has a contract on my life, a bounty on my head. And so Elijah goes to look for him. And if you keep reading the chapter, as he on, is on his way to Israel, he runs, in, in, runs into a man named Obadiah. Obadiah was the palace administrator for Ahab, but he was a man of God. Somehow he managed to stay true to his faith even in the house of somebody who didn't support it. Somebody needs to hear that right now. Because somebody right now is living in the house with somebody that doesn't support your faith. You stay true. God is still with you. I didn't even, that's bonus. I didn't say that first service. But he he runs into Obadiah, and, Elijah's, and, and, and he, Obadiah recognizes him. At this point, like Elijah has this reputation of being this amazing man of God, and, and Obadiah is almost like, like starstruck in front of Elijah. And Elijah says, Obadiah, go tell Ahab that I'm going to meet him, and I got a message for him. And Obadiah says, nah, bro, that's not a good idea. Because, like, do you not know, like, my, my master, my, my king, he's been sending out people to try to kill you. If I go tell Ahab that you're here, and when he gets here, you're not here, he's going to kill me. 
So like my greatest fear is sometime between now and when I tell Ahab that you're here, by the time it takes him to get here, maybe God's going to call you somewhere else. And then you're going to be gone, and then it's going to be my life on the line. Obadiah had a good point. But Elijah reassures him. He says, no, it's time for me to deliver a message to Ahab like I'm here by divine direction. I need you to go get Ahab and tell him I have a message for him. So he goes and he gets Ahab, and Ahab comes, and when he steps into the presence of Elijah, look at what he says to him in verse 17, 1 Kings 18, 17. It says, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? Like, what a title. Isn't it funny that even thousands of years ago, people tried to blame everybody else for the negative circumstances of their own bad decisions? People think scripture's outdated. It is as real as it has ever been. Because we always, we, we live in a culture that never wants to take responsibility. We live in a culture that it's much easier to place blame than take responsibility. And here the reality is, it's Ahab's bad decisions. Ahab is suffering the consequences of his own bad. I see people all the time, why is God doing this to me? You're doing this to yourself. Come on, somebody. Like, sometimes the negative things that you're going through... Can I let you, quick sermon. You do dumb things, bad things happen. Isn't that fun? God, God sometimes does not allow you to escape your own stupidity. I'm, t- I'm just preaching to me right now. I'm just, uh. God's forgiveness is always there, and he offers you eternal forgiveness, but sometimes he allows you to experience earthly consequences. It's just part of it. troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, like, no, like, you're, you're the one that's been doing this because you're the one. These people have been looking to you as a leader, and you've been leading them in the wrong direction. Like, they, like you're, you're supposed to be the one that's setting the, 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 this temperature for the, for the culture, for your nation, and you've been disobedient. You've been moving away from God, and, like, like they've been following you. He said, but like now is a time where like it's time for all this to come to a head. It's time for this to come to a, a point because Elijah has watched this for, for too long. And he comes and he addresses the people. And look at what he says in 1 Kings chapter 18, the first part of verse 21. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah's like, it's time to quit playing this game. Like, how long are you going to keep riding what I call this spiritual roller coaster? Where you're all about God, then you're all about Baal. You're all about God, you're all about Gale. It just depends on, on what, what day it is or what you're following and what you're allowing to be God. Like, I can relate to this because I've lived that. I've played the spiritual game. Matter of fact, I was the goat of the spiritual game growing up the greatest of all time. Like, I knew what it was like. I've lived in positions in my life where I let my circumstances dictate my commitment. Where I have been, I'm telling you, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad pastored church. I was a, pe- a preacher's kid. You know what they say about preacher's kids? We're all perfect angels. <laughs> my halo's in the car. I could speak Christianese. I could speak King James Christianese when I wanted to. 
with the vowels and the these. I could say that. I knew what it was like when I was around the right people, how I could pretend like I was committed and surrendered, but then when I would get in the wrong circle or the wrong situation or the wrong circumstance, like I knew how to step out of that. Y'all, y'all good people, y'all perfect people, y'all, ain't, y'all wouldn't like me growing up. Y'all would never have done that. <laughs> but there comes a point where you gotta stop playing that game. It's time to grow up. And he's like, all right, if Baal's God, that's fine. Go, if, you, if that's what you believe, follow that. But if God is God, follow God. Like, you've got to quit playing this game. Like, you've got to quit riding the fence. You've got to quit going back and forth. It's time to commit and to do something and to settle in. And look at their response. It says, but the people said nothing. Because they didn't know what to say. You know what? They were in a position where, like, like they, they knew. They knew that that was the reality. You ever had one of those conversations with people and like you, you, you know where they are and you, and you speak accountability into your life and this is their comeback. Because you, they, they have nothing to say. Like you're busted. Usually when you're busted, you ain't got nothing to say. Anybody ever been busted like you just came in? Somebody, like my mama has superpowers, like most mamas. Like I could walk in on a Friday night in high school and be like, where you been? Uh-huh. Like how'd you know? I used to think that maybe my ears glowed red or something like that when I told a lie because my mama knew. And I got big ears, so they would go really red. But it's like they, they knew. They knew that, they had, that this was the pattern of their lives. And I think in this season, they had even more rode this roller coaster because of the circumstances they were in right now. But before you're so quick to judge them, remember that you've been there. And I think the situation they were in when Elijah steps on the scene had even made it worse because they were three years deep into a season of drought. And if you've ever been in a drought, you know that drought often increases doubt. Drought increases doubt. Now you've got to imagine, the one of the reasons why, see, I think when you go through a season of drought, most often it does one of two things. It either pushes you towards God or it starts to draw you away from him. But when you're in a season of doubt, when I'm in a season of drought, my, often, my most often go-to is doubt. Anybody ever been in a season of drought? And, and, and not a drought like they're talking about, like it's not an actual physical drought, but like you ever just been in one of those drought seasons, one of those dry seasons, one of those seasons where it just seemed like everything around you was dying, everything around you was withering, like nothing was going right, your marriage wasn't good, your food didn't even taste good, you just felt bad physically, you were going through something, come on, somebody, t- you with me? Like you ever been through a season of doubt? But I think even in a, when you're in, when you're in, in a drought, you're looking for something to relieve the drought. And you know you don't have the answer. And so you begin to find whatever you can get your hands on to give you some relief. And I think that's what the nation of Israel was doing. They were going through this, this and they were three years deep into a, series, a, a season of, doubt, of drought. So there was no rain. So there was no fresh vegetables. The food wasn't, wasn't very good. And you don't feed people for a while. They get hangry. Like, y'all know what I'm talking about. But it was serious. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. 
Have you been through a season where you felt like your prayers were going no further than the ceiling of the room you were in? Where it seemed like you were crying out to God day in and day out, and He just seemed to be silent? Have you ever been a moment where you just, you, you, you showed up at church for five, six weeks in a row and you watched everybody around you worshiping, going into it, and you just felt nothing? Have you ever been in a season where it didn't seem like one thing was going wrong? It seems like every day something new to challenge you was falling apart at the seams. Come on, anybody ever been there? A season of drought that caused you to doubt whether God was real, whether God was good. Cause you to doubt whether or not you were ever going to get back what you once had with him. See, that's what makes it harder. Seasons of drought are harder when you've been through seasons of rain. When you've gone through the seasons of rain and you felt that energy and you felt that spirit and you've been so close to God and now all of a sudden something happened. And, and sometimes those seasons of drought, they're ushered in by us. We're to blame. Like we've made some bad decisions or we've done something the wrong way or we've, we've gotten inconsistent with the things that cause us to feel that way. We've gotten inconsistent with staying in the Word or, or, or going to our life group or being around the right people or showing up at church or whatever. Like sometimes we are responsible for the drought. But you know what's crazy? Sometimes we're just in the season of drought created by somebody else. See, even in this time, the faithful still had to endure the famine. Obadiah would say, told Elijah, there's been a hundred prophets of God that I've had to spare in this season. I had to hide 50 of them in one cave and 50 of them in another cave. So it says that there were people of faith that were having to endure the famine. And maybe those are harder. Always remember, sin has a ripple effect. When you sin, you're never impacting just you. Drought increases doubt. And so when Elijah steps into this season, like he's looking at a group of people. I, I, one time I thought he was coming in there just guns a-blazing, but I think he's just, he, I think he can, you know, I'm not saying that their drought is okay, but I can relate to it. Can you? I can relate to it. And you're looking for something bigger than you to help pull you out. So that means when you're in a season of drought, sometimes just to come out, you stick that needle in your arm. Or you pick up that bottle. Or you get involved in that relationship and you do things before you're married that God said you shouldn't do before you're married. Or you spend a little bit more money. Or you eat a little bit more food. Or you do something to pull yourself out. But the reality is, only God can bring you out of a drought. And Elijah is bringing them in, and he has a purpose. Like, he's about, he's about to have a showdown. He says, all right, guys, I need to remind you that only God can give you what you've been searching for. So here's what we're going to do. You go get all those hundreds of the of, of prophets of Baal and Asherah and all those other gods, you go get all of them and just me. And we're going to go up to the top of Mount Carmel. And we're gonna just going to have a little showdown. You're going to prepare a sacrifice. I'm going to prepare a sacrifice. You're going to get a bull. You're going to put it on the altar. I'm going to get a bull. I'm going to put it on the altar. We're going to pray. You pray to your God. I'm going to pray to mine. The first one to answer by fire 
is the one and only true God. And the people say, sounds like a good idea. Let's do this. Let's go up there and let's make it happen. So they go up and they meet on Mount Carmel. And Elijah basically says, all right, I'll let you guys go first. So all these prophets, hundreds of them, of Baal and Asherah, they come up together and they, they put the bull on, on, the, uh, on the altar and they get it all prepared and get it all ready and they start dancing around and they start singing and they start praying and they start calling out to their God and, and like nothing is happening. And then Elijah steps up and just does something that reminds me why I love Elijah so much because he starts talking smack. Check it out. 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. That's awesome. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy. Or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Now, studies from Hebrew, and you see that where it says, maybe he's in deep thought. There's one way that you can trace that he, translate that Hebrew phrase where it means maybe he's in the bathroom. Like, he's on the turlet. He can't come right now. <laughs> Isn't the Bible great? It's awesome. So they keep praying. Let me check that verse 29. It says, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. That thing that they thought would be there for them when they needed it failed them. It didn't give them what they thought it would in the moment they needed it the most. And that's the way it always works when you're looking to something other than God to bring you out of the drought. Nothing can give you what God can give you. And those people in the room may be like, you don't even know why you're here. And you're, and you're sitting here and you're like, I wish this guy would hurry up. I just came here to please somebody. And I'm like, I'm just ready to go eat lunch. Let me just tell you something. I pray that it doesn't take something crazy for you to realize how real and powerful and awesome that God is. Because nothing's ever going to, that job's never going to do it. That car's never, like that, whatever it is. Feeling the, like it's never going to do it. Testify somebody, come on. Because we've tried it. I've tried it. I've tried other things. Amen. I've tried other things. And every time they've, they, they've, fallen, they've fallen short. So finally Elijah has seen enough. He says, all right, it's my turn. And he prepares his bull and he puts it out there. And pick up with verse 33. It says, he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So now it's Elijah's turn. And he steps up and he starts to get his sacrifice ready. And he gets the bull ready. And actually, if you read the scripture, it says he digs a trench all around it. And then he has them bring four big jars of water and th uh, three different times pour those four jars. So 12 big jars of water douse this sacrifice. Now, it finally hit me this week. I bet there were some people in the crowd thinking, we're in a drought, and he is wasting water. Because that's the way church people think. Why are they spending money on that? <laughs> I'm not going, that's another day. Uh, but now, Elijah's just showing off. And I, I wasn't in the Boy Scouts, but I know the last thing you want to do before you set something on fire is drench it with water. 
And then Elijah steps out and prays a prayer that's just less than a paragraph long when you read it. And he basically says this, God, now's the time for you to show these people who you really are. Today's the day you're going to turn people's hearts back to you. And in that moment, look what happens. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up all the water in the trench. That's my God. That's my God. The, the bull would have been enough. But fire falls from heaven in such a way, it, only, it not only burns up the bull, it incinerates the whole mountaintop. It burns the bull, the stones, the wood, and it's so hot, it evaporates all the water from the trench. That's how God does it. Because in this moment, what Elijah is saying, I know you've been in a drought, and I know that drought has increased your doubt, and there's been times that you've forgotten who God is, that you've forgotten what he did when we crossed the Red Sea. We've forgotten what he did when Joshua crossed the Jordan. Like, you've forgotten all these powerful miracles that God has done in your life, and today we've come up on this hill so I can remind you that God is the only thing that's going to get you through this drought season. He brought them up here to remind them who God is, that this demonstration is simply a reminder of who he is. And look what happens, verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And now for years, I stopped there in that passage. Because I thought the good stuff was over to a degree. Like, I, get, I, I got enamored with this, this, fi- this fireful demonstration. But really, the beauty of, of what happens next in this chapter is, is, is what I want us to lean into this morning. Because I want you to see what happens after this powerful demonstration. Let me tell you something. If, if, if I'm Elijah after this, I'm walking through Israel like Conor McGregor, just swinging my arms. Like I'm, I'm strutting through, just showing people like what the deal is. But look what happens next. It says, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. It's interesting he said this because there wasn't a sound of heavy rain in that moment. Matter of fact, from what we're about to see next, it doesn't even look like there was a cloud in the sky yet. He says, Elijah said to Ahab, after all this, is, after the fire has fallen, all these crazy things that happened, he says, go eat and drink, for there's a sound of a heavy rain. Verse 42, and so Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face in his knees. So Elijah's response after this amazing reminder of God's power was to tell Ahab, rain is coming. And then he goes up on the mountain and he assumes a position of prayer. And he begins to pray and ask God to do something. Like, why? Why would Elijah go up there? You almost, do, do you almost, do you like me, do you sense almost a, a sense of concern from Elijah? Like, he doesn't come down the mountain, go eat and drink, rain's coming, let's party it up, let's have a good time. Woo! He goes up and he begins to pray. 
I think because he realizes something. He knows as powerful as the fire was, those people would need more. That as awesome as the mountaintop experience was in their lives, when they stepped down off that mountain, they were stepping back into a season of drought. And that the fire would only last for so long if they had to go back down that mountain and still deal with the famine. See, Elijah knew that the fire was a great reminder, but only rain would bring relief. The fire was a great reminder, but only rain would bring relief. See, here's the thing. They were in a drought. A fire's not very helpful in a drought. You know, when, when we get in a drought, they're like, don't burn anything, the whole neighborhood will go. See, it's awesome. See, the fire was a great reminder, but, they, but Elijah knew if they went back down and, and, and engaged back in their lives, and, and all the symptoms of the drought still existed, that it would only be a matter of time before they forgot once again. And they drifted back into that same old pattern. You with me? See, the fire was a great reminder, but only rain would bring relief. So Elijah goes back and he begins to pray. And he, and he, and he says to his servant, look at verse, verse 43. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Elijah was waiting for the clouds to build because he knew fire was great, but they needed rain. And he says, go look eastward. See anything? No, Elijah. Not yet. Go back. You see anything? No. Go back. You see anything? Go back. No, you see anything? Finally, on the seventh time, the servant comes back. Verse 44, the seventh time, the servant reported a small cloud, as small as a man's hand, is rising from the sea. Elijah is small and is far off, but the rain is on the way. The rain is on the way. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go before the rain stops you. I don't know if you're in a season of drought. And I don't know what that drought is doing to you. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what form it has come in. I don't know if it's caused you to doubt. But it happens. And you know what? What we try to do when we gather here week after week is to bring the fire. So every Sunday when you come, we bring the fire to remind you that he is still God. No matter what you went through last week, no matter what you faced this week, no matter how long you've been in the drought or how long you're going to be in the drought, just know that he is God. We bring the fire. But I want you to know, I'm believing, I'm claiming, rain's on the way. And it may start 
as a cloud in the distance as small as my hand, but it's coming. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know if it's tomorrow or next week or next year or 10 years from now, but I wanted to just tell you this. Fuel the fire until you experience the rain. If the only time you're getting the fire is here, the drought will get you. You've got tons of tools. Fuel the fire here. Fuel the fire in your life group. Fuel the, fuel the fire when you're driving down the car and you're jamming out to an amazing worship song. Fuel the fire when you open the Word of God every morning before you walk out your house. Like there's tons of ways for you to fuel the fire because you need it. But I'm claiming over everybody in this room, the rain's on the way. There's a cloud building. Get ready. Prepare yourself to receive it because it's only a matter of time. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, I pray that today every person that's existing in the drought would look to you, trust you, believe you for rain to eventually come. To believe that somewhere in the distance a cloud is building and it may seem small and it may seem far off, but God, that's who you are. You bring rain on the weary and moments when they need it. And so God, today we prepare ourselves to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.